well, thanks for that introduction, Kenny. Uh, I have a question, but I mean, isn't the Irish word for outlaw Tory? <laughs> uh, and uh, you noticed that uh, our Piper McGilvery was uh, playing Highland Cathedral. Uh, that actually is an illustration. That song, that famous song, that uh, talisman uh, rousing chorus uh, of the world reach of our country. Heil Cathedral was actually written by two German musicians, uh, Ulrich Gruber and uh, Michael Korb, uh, for a Highland Games in Germany in 1982. And I often wonder when I, when I hear that song and the other influences of Scotland worldwide, is oh, what a wonderful thing it would be if we could marshal that goodwill, that soft power that Scotland has to Scotland and the world's benefit. <laughs> Now, Arapa, we are six months old, but in reality, delegates, we are two days young. <laughs> A political party, it starts with an idea, sustained by a belief that it's the people, the members, who make the party. And that has come into place gloriously for us in the last two days. The fabric that makes our party, our women's wing, our youth wing, our Asian wing, are being woven into an Alapa tartan. The result is going to be both amazing and formidable. I'm interested, I mean, this is only a portion of our strength. For very obvious reasons, many of our, our friends and fellow delegates couldn't be with us under the current circumstances. Indeed, some accidents befell some. Uh, Izzy Zambanini, who has done so much with Desmin Ahmed Sheikh to make this conference possible, was victim of an accident just a few days ago. But I'm delighted to, to tell conference, I received a message this morning that she is on the mend and watching this conference gavel to gavel. So you better all behave. Delegates, our core belief is independence for our country. Not as an aspiration for the future, but something to be delivered with urgency. Not for the hereafter, but for the here and now. There have been five national elections in Scotland since the first referendum in 2014. In each of them, the parties of independence have won a majority of seats. In this year's Scottish election, it was both a majority of seats and thanks to Alba's small contribution, a majority of votes as well. And yet, despite that clearly expressed mandate from the people to at least urgently reopen the decision on independence, no progress has been made. Now, of course, there's always a reason we had to wait until Brexit. But two general elections were held during the Brexit process. In any case, Brexit was not a reason for delaying independence. It was a reason for accelerating independence. <laughs> and then there's the pandemic. Why should the 
pandemic be a reason for delaying, at the very least, the preparations for a referendum? The pandemic didn't stop the actual Scottish elections this year, nor should it have. Why then did it delay independence preparations? My, my favourite uh, Bill Murray film is Groundhog Day. It's the theme of uh, somebody caught in a time loop. And that, of course, that theme, the time loop theme, has been dealt with many times in film. It's usually a comedy. But for Scotland and independence, it's becoming a tragedy. To illustrate this clearly, well, let's take the headlines over the last few years from one national newspaper selected purely at random. Now, let's have a, a quick look at some of the highlights. 1st of August 2015, you can't stop another referendum if the Scots want one, Nicholas Sturgeon. The 13th of March 2017, here we go, from a Nicholas Sturgeon press conference. The 9th of June 2018, get ready for Indie Ref 2, from Keith Brown. The 29th of April 2019, Indie Ref 2, most likely before the end of 2020, Nicola Sturgeon. 30th of January 2020, if this Parliament votes for a referendum, it will have it, Mike Russell. The 15th of November 2020, independence referendum is to happen next year, Ian Blackford. Well, that is good news. Now, these are, uh, these are not the remarks of some overwrought, overheated backbencher. These are the remarks of the First Minister, her deputy, the SNP President, and the leader of the Westminster Group. Is it any wonder that Westminster Tory politicians seem pretty relaxed about any political challenge for Scotland? The grand old Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill and he marched them down again. The next line of that song is Rule Britannia. And that's exactly what will happen if we constantly march people up to the top of the hill and march them down again. Bill Murray, he was only trapped in his time loop for a few months. Scotland's referendum, Groundhog Day, has lasted six years. And now in the, the run-up to the SNP virtual conference, we have the announcement this week that a reduced civil service team are going to be asked to start preparations for an independence white paper. Wow, had me back. <laughs> it is. It is perfectly reasonable for the SNP to conduct a virtual conference, but not to conduct a virtual independence campaign. The real task, the task which this party is applying itself to, are these. Firstly, to, to formulate a strategy 
for bending Westminster to the will of the Scottish people. That was exactly what Kenny McCaskill laid out in the first debate of our first conference. After 2011, we faced down David Cameron and George Osborne. Are we really saying that Scotland can't face down Boris Johnson and the disco king himself, Michael Gove? But it won't happen by itself. If we start that campaign for Scotland's claim of right, if we started it now, today, a referendum would still be some day off. But one thing's for sure, if you never really start the next independent campaign, then you shall never, ever finish the independence campaign. Our second task as a party is to refurbish the independence platform for the post-Brexit age. On Europe, on currency, on borders, indeed Alipa candidates did more work in that in the five weeks of the election campaign than the party of government have done in five years. We didn't get much opportunity to promote that work during the election. Now we have, and this conference has been a great start. And the third task is the most important, and that is to, to follow what was done in the referendum campaign itself, to inform our fellow citizens of the case for independence. What wins converts to the independence cause is the arming of the people with information. Not that the policies of any individual political party, however good they may be, but the facts and figures illustrating the fundamental case for freedom. Now, looking at the first independence referendum, when support for independence rose by 15%, there was one publication which stood out as winning converts to our national cause, the Wee Blue Book. It was not a throwaway leaflet, but a pamphlet articulating the cause. And so I commit Alipa today to assist with the publication of a new edition of this information, the wee Alipa book, The Case for Independence. I've asked Robin McAlpine to write the text and the book will be edited by Stuart Campbell, who of course produced the Blue Book itself. Now, a couple of days ago, I had a, a postcard from someone who described themselves just as a, a supporter of independence. I, I've got it here. He or she wrote, I just wanted to wish you well for the first Alipa conference. I'm not a member, but I'm a supporter. I'm looking forward to hearing positive ideas from Alipa. There's generally a quote from Burns that can be found in these situations. And this is what he or she wrote. Here's freedom to them that would read. Here's freedom to them that would write. There's nay never fear to the truth should be heard, except whom the truth would indict. Friends, 
Friends, we're a, a new political party. We're, we're not rich in finance, we're not rich in money, but we are rich in ideas. We'll need to fundraise to allow us to help deliver the Alipa book and the truth about independence to Scottish homes and households. However, from the soundings I've taken already, let me today commit that we shall aim to deliver 100,000 copies of the Alipa booklet around Scotland before the local elections of next year. And so independence is our aim. But with other independence parties available, what is our unique role? You know, Delegate Sada an idea a while back when I was leading another political party. <laughs> I, I thought if the SNP could present itself as a coherent left of centre of political party, it could replace the Labour Party as the dominant force in Scottish politics. I knew back in the, the 90s it was a, a long-term project, that Rome wasn't built in a day. But I also knew that there was another more immediate role. Because every time the SNP won a by-election or spiked in the opinion polls, all of a sudden the Labour Party rediscovered their historic, very historic commitment to self-government. Now this, I've got to say, worked out pretty well because it ended up with the Scottish Parliament reconvening on the mound. So as it was then for the SNP and Labour, so it is now for Alapa and the SNP. Make no mistake, in the long term, Alapa wished to be part of the, the government of an independent Scotland. However, the very first political breakthrough scored by this party will concentrate the minds of the SMB Green administration and concentrate them wonderfully. <laughs> Independence will suddenly become the first thought, not an afterthought. It will be like having an SMP conference run up every week of the year. <laughs> because it is Alapa who provide the grit in the independence oyster. <laughs> Secondly, Alipa provides a, an independence insurance policy. Another idea I had way back was to, to persuade people that if the party of independence demonstrated competence in running the government of a devolved Scotland, it would build up confidence in our ability as a people to run an independent country. You, you might remember that Lord George Foulkes, <laughs> then an MSP, once accused us of making public services in Scotland better than England, and he complained we were doing it deliberately. <laughs> Free education. Three prescriptions, new hospitals, new schools, a bridge over the Forth, a railway to the borders, a bypass for Aberdeen. He was right. I was doing it deliberately. <laughs> but, but now, delegates, the reverse is happening. Uh, and I presume it's accidentally. 
because the, the record of the SNP Green Coalition on education, health, the economy, local government is that it's very kindest mediocre. So is this record on the pandemic. And when that immediate cloud of the pandemic lifts, they shall be judged in that and probably harshly. We must not have independence judged with it. We do not want people turning back to the tired old unionist parties or worse still staying at home. There has to be an independence alternative. Make no mistake, Alapa is now that alternative. I want us to make that case, and this is really important, particularly online, by talking up Alapa, not running down the SNP. We have a, a noble cause. Let's do it justice. In the last two days, we've already demonstrated that we've got ideas and positive vision enough to take the country forward. We have, for example, the, the five-point plan for tackling child and family poverty. That's what you debated today, the poverty that stocks this land. That plan shows what can be done now by local and Scottish government to directly assist families. Instead of taking the money out of the pockets of families, we put money direct into the family budget. And remember, friends, that tax and cut, as Neil Hanvey memorably described it yesterday, doesn't just affect the unemployed and those with disabilities. We heard from Councillor Michel Ferns yesterday, the grim reality facing many working families in Scotland. And the Tory Chancellor wants to take £20 out of the weekly budget of 200,000 of such families in Scotland. £20 a week out of the family budget. It must not be allowed to happen. And when we advocate universal school meals, breakfast, lunches, all levels of education for all children all year round, let's do it with imagination and verve, mobilising the great chefs of Scotland into creating the, the menus. Scotland produces the finest food in the world. Is it really beyond us to get it into the mouths of our youngsters? Then our resolution on the climate emergency demonstrated not just the contribution, Scotland's contribution to the global challenge, but the imagination required to, to reboot the Scottish economy to meet the renewable revolution. We could harness Scotland's resources to Scotland's benefit, not by closing down the North Sea, but by forcing investment into carbon capture, clean burn hydrogen and renewables. Instead of uh, steering generation away from Scotland through sky-high transmission charges. Let's channel the resources into development of our clean, green, massive energy base. You know, 10 years ago, onshore, offshore wind was in its infancy and hugely expensive. Now it is hugely lucrative, worth many billions, and moving into deeper waters, Scottish waters. Scotland needs a stake in the generation of wealth from our own natural resources. That's why the concept 
of a Scottish National Renewables Corporation is of such importance. Scotland requires a share, let's say 2.5%, in every single major field, onshore and offshore, and therefore in a position to insist that the infrastructure, the platforms, floating or fixed, must be built in Scottish yards. The Campbelltown. The Campbelltown Tower Factory, which I intervened to save in 2011, is closed this week. The Bifab yards are idle. The receivers of Campbelltown this week said there was no prospect of a recovery in the marketplace. What? The market is booming. What is lacking is the political will and the industrial strategy. Every warning, every single warning, our national movement has issued about the pillage of our country's resources over the last half century has come to pass. Now with one quarter of Europe's entire offshore wind resource in our waters, we have a second chance to put things right. For 50 years, the cry of its Scotland's oil has resounded through the politics of Scotland. Now let it be, it's Scotland's renewable energy. And thirdly, on our agenda yesterday, we discussed proposals for a, a written constitution for an independent Scotland, a fundamental law for creating a new state from this ancient nation. Of course, much of the publicity surrounding the motion focused on Alapa proposing an elected head of state for an independent country. And just let me assure the Sunday Express, <laughs> I am not a candidate. I have no ambitions in that direction. Because, you know, I would have been surprised, astonished, if Alapa had advocated anything less or anything less for an independent country. But there's much more to it than a written constitution, much more to that than uh, an elected head of state. It's about the protection that every citizen should have under the law. We have governments in Westminster, and I'm sorry to say in Scotland, who are careless of citizens' rights. Less. Less than two years ago, the Westminster government attempted to bypass Parliament with the royal prerogative. The Scottish government seem almost oblivious to women's sex-based rights as they pursue gender and self-identification in a divisive way and with an urgency totally lacking in the independence campaign. Why not? Why not utilise the citizens' assemblies to take some of the heat out of that debate. There are now real, profound questions on the impartiality of the Crown Office and the blurring of the proper boundaries between the legal system and politics. And now, our own Parliament, our own Parliament that we campaigned for, fought for, protested for, demonstrated for, seeks to restrict the right of protest by petitioning that champion of human liberty, Priti Patel. 
What an appalling misjudgment. Scotland doesn't need Priti Patel and shouldn't need even the Strasbourg Convention to defend our citizens' rights. The Convention is a, a backstop. Our primary defence should lie in our own fundamental law, our own written constitution for a free and independent Scotland. <laughs> friends, as we reflected yesterday morning at the start of our proceedings, it's 20 years since the events of 9-11 plunged the world into darkness. And yet at, at that moment, amid all the suffering, America was never stronger as the entire world railed against the atrocity and rallied to her side. Like Pearl Harbor, it traumatized but united America. But that moment of solidarity, of unity, was lost in the rage. And instead of a, a law enforcement operation to root out the evil of Al-Qaeda, we've had 20 years of invasions and occupations, leaving hundreds of thousands dead. For much of these 20 years, the SNP and a few others provided an alternative view in the benches of the House of Commons. Didn't win a single vote in the House of Commons, but marshaled much respect out with it providing just a, a glimpse of a different world view that an independent Scotland might take. I look at the, the House of Commons and the SNP benches, and I see nothing of that now. With just a, a few honourable exceptions, such as Joanna Cherry, Angus Brendan McNeill, Douglas Chapman, dissent has been absorbed into the benches. The SNP have been assimilated into dangerous neocon nonsense, just as America is turning away from it. In the last 150 years, no political force from the Celtic countries, not even the Irish Parliamentary Party at the height of Parnell's powers, not the radical liberals in Scotland, not the Red Clydesiders, not even the Labour Party, achieved the dominance in seats that the SNP have boasted at Westminster over three general elections. And what exactly have they done with that trust, with all that political influence? Nothing. They've settled down at Westminster instead of settling up for Scotland. <clears throat> the world of 2021 is not the world of 2001 or even the world of 2014. Much has happened. Brexit, COVID. Nicola Sturgeon said on Friday that COVID had made the financial case for independence more challenging. She is wrong. These great events, these world events, make the economic and the social necessity of Scottish independence overwhelming. Friends, in uh, six months, Arapa has come a long way. We have more than 
6,000 members, our local organisations uh, stretch the length and breadth of the country. We have 15 councillors, two members of parliament, and now a team of elected official office bearers elected by you to take the party forward. More importantly, even than that, at this conference, we started to, to build a platform of the Scotland we seek. We seek a Scotland of social justice, a free Scotland which frees Scots, with the education and health services and public hands which will make us proud. We seek a Scotland which banishes weapons of mass destruction from Scottish waters and Scottish soil. Alapa will never desert the cause of unilateral nuclear disarmament. And we seek a Scotland which contributes to the, the greatest challenge facing humanity, global warming. Our country is blessed with a quarter of Europe's offshore wind power, a quarter of Europe's tidal power, 10% of wave power. That's potential. But let's use that potential for our benefit and for the benefit of humanity. The future of Scotland lies in mobilising our natural resources. But the heart of that and deeper still, it lies in mobilizing the talents of our people. Some years ago, the American historian Arthur Herman, he wrote a book entitled, How the Scots Invented the Modern World. Now, if that's true, and much of it is, then why can't this generation of Scots reinvent a modern Scotland? Our unionist opponents, they say, we're no capable of that genetically ill-equipped, as one Labour politician famously said. Well, delegates and friends, our position, Alipa's position, Scotland's position, is not just that we can, but that we must and we shall reclaim independence for our people and for our country. Thank you.